everybody. My name is Greg Katzen. Welcome to WeRSC's Inside the Trojan's Huddle, where we tell it like it is. Friends, Inside the Trojan's Huddle is a game-like panel discussion. RSC colonists, staff writers, and editorial board. We first start with the pregame show where we introduce our panel members for this edition of Inside the Trojan's Huddle and then give you the latest USC Trojans football news. First, let's meet this week's panelists, Mark Culkin. We are SC columnists who writes the Monday morass, yay or nay, Sunday takeaways, in addition to the regular season football and basketball practice reports. Chris Arledge, former William Jewell College defensive back and team captain, and we are SC columnists who writes the popular column Musings with Arledge. Eric McKinney, publisher and editor-in-chief of WeRSC.com, and Greg Katz, that's me, your host and moderator of Inside the Trojans Huddle, and a weekly WeRSC columnist who writes the obvious and not so obvious NIMHO Sunday. Before we kick off this edition of the Trojans Huddle, here is the latest USC football news. This Saturday at noon in the Coliseum, the USC Trojans will conclude spring ball with the annual spring game, which will be free and open to the general public and televised live on ESPN nationally. The spring game will be one half of a football game. And according to head coach Lincoln Riley, quote, it won't be a game of tag. We're going to play football. Again, that spring game will start at noon Pacific time. After Saturday morning's practice, Lincoln Riley was asked about the progress of the offensive line. And he said, because of their previous game experience, we can have a great offensive line really, really quickly. This past Friday, former Trojans wide receiver Drake London performed his own pro day for NFL scouts. Although he didn't run the 40-yard dash, London did perform in other individual drills and looked sharp. Some national media experts are saying that London could be the first wide receiver off the board and be a top 10 pick. Former USC safety linebacker Kulana Makala has transferred to Hawaii. Also on the transfer front, former Trojans quarterback JT Daniels and former Trojans offensive coordinator Graham Harrell will reunite in their football responsibilities as Daniels announced last week that he's transferring to West Virginia, where Harrell is the first-year offensive coordinator. Both, of course, were previously together at USC in the year 2019. And speaking of USC former quarterbacks, it's possible three former starting Cardinal and Gold quarterbacks could be starting for other universities in 2022 when you consider JT Daniels at West Virginia, Keaton Slovis at Pittsburgh, and Jackson Dart at Mississippi. And there's a strong possibility that Slovis and Daniels will face each other in the backyard brawl when West Virginia plays at Pitt to open their season on September 1st in Heinz Field. And finally, friends, we are SC's Inside the Trojan Subtle. Greatly appreciate your viewer and leadership and listenership. We appreciate and encourage those of you watching on sites like YouTube to click the red subscriber and like buttons. It's greatly appreciated and it's free. All right, it's time for the opening kickoff and our first quarter question panel. The spring game is this Saturday in the Coliseum. What specific players and areas of interest on offense will you be scrutinizing the most? Our leadoff hitter, as always, Mark Culkin. What are you looking forward to and who are you looking forward to looking at on offense? You know, besides the obvious, you know, quarterback Caleb Williams and Miller Moss, um, being able to look forward to a good play caller um, and the run game. So basically everything across the board is what I'm going to have my eye on. But, you know, 
Lincoln Riley talked about the offensive line, and he was in a really good mood following Saturday's practice. So he, he must have saw something that, you know, really put him in, in that really good mood because he, he wanted to talk to the media long after uh, Katie Ryan was willing to cut him loose. So um, behind the starters, the experience, uh, he, he mentioned a couple of the younger guys. So eventually those guys are going to get plugged in. We're going to see, you know, what is – what does Maximus Gibbs look like? You know, what, what is Mason Murphy looking like? What is Andrew Milek looking like? You know, what's Jason Rodriguez looking like? Is this, are we at the point now where Lincoln can, you know, adjust his, his roster personnel and, and say, all right, you know what, maybe I don't need to go get three or four more offensive line guys. I can now look at going to get some other guys to fill other holes. So if that offensive line looks good and the run game looks good, and the quarterback looks good, which I think they will. Um, I think Lincoln Riley is going to be able to focus on on other parts of the roster that need more attention. I, I don't think offense is where it's at. Chris Arledge, is offense where it's at? And who are you looking at? And what areas of the offense do you probably scrutinize? I mean, offense is going to be where it's at this year for USC, I think. Um, I think Mark talked about every position group other than wide receiver. So I guess I'll talk about wide receiver and um, USC has for a number of years now, um, it seems like every year has had at least one uh, superstar wide receiver. Uh, I'm curious who that's going to be this year. I'd, I'd keep an eye on Brendan Rice to see whether he's going to be that guy um, or whether or not uh, Caleb Williams' uh, teammate from OU is going to be that guy. But uh, somebody's going to need to step up there. Lincoln Riley's scheme will open some things up. The running game will open up play action. Um, I think he's going to do a better job than Graham Harrell at actually scheming people open. So I don't know that you have to have a Drake London to be successful, but it certainly does help to have a go-to guy that the other team can't cover. So that's what I'm going to be looking at in addition to the obvious ones. I mean, everybody's going to be looking at Caleb Williams because if USC is going to be good enough to win the conference this year, and I think they have a chance to do that, it's because Caleb Williams is going to be Superman. So everybody's going to want to see what he has to offer. But, uh, but yeah, I'll be curious to see what wide receivers step up. Eric, what about you? What are you going to be looking at? You guys both mentioned it, but just jumped over the right. It's it, Caleb Williams, Caleb Williams and Caleb Williams again. That That's what that that's what needs to drive this thing forward, I think. And that's speaking from, a, a I guess, a USC fans perspective. He was the most talked about player in the transfer portal, probably in all of college football this offseason. He has to make all of this right. Lincoln, Lincoln Riley coming over, him coming over, everything that USC did, I think, really relies on how he plays now as someone who covers the team and, and kind of likes would love to see Miller Moss do well. I would love to see kind of some of the, the backups that Mark mentioned that those guys are going to be really interesting to watch too. out front though. It's absolutely Caleb Williams going behind him. I think it's a scheme. What does this offense look like? How does this set up this? And, and Chris talked about that too, but what does the movement look like? How, how open are guys? What is the, the feel, I guess, of the offense and again, this goes right back into Caleb Williams. How how significantly, I guess, is, is it clicking at this stage in the process? They're going to have all summer, all the PRPs, all the time spent together, still fall camp. You still have a lot that you can do. But at this point in this process, what does this offense 
feel like when it goes out on the field? Are our guys running into each other? Is it kind of stops and starts? Is the offensive line working with the running backs? How are the tight ends working in there? All, all of that, what's kind of the harmony that you can feel from that offense uh, on Saturday? But it, it's it's what does Caleb Williams do? That I think is going to be, when you read the headlines and all of that coming out at the end of this, a lot of it I think is going to focus on Caleb Williams' performance. All right. Well, I'm going to take a, a different viewpoint on some of this. Uh, I am curious, first of all, to see Miller Moss and see how he fits into the offense. I know what Caleb Williams will do. I saw what he did last year. I've watched film on their offense. I'm not overly uh, excited in terms of what is the scheme going to look like. I know what the scheme is going to look like. I've watched have plenty of Oklahoma film. What I'm interested about the scheme is I want to see how the offensive line has adjusted to the scheme. Are they fast enough and quick enough to run that kind of counter tray that they run with an offset back? I want to see uh, Cortland Ford pull out. I want to see Andrew uh, or uh, Voorhees. I want to see him pull out and trap. I want to see how these guys get upfield, can get up to the second level. I want to see their athletic movement, which I don't think we got to see uh, their best in the last several years under the Clay Helton system. Uh, I think that's going to be one thing I'm going to look at. Uh, I'm really excited to see Austin Jones run. He's been getting a lot of good positive pub. Uh, I know what uh, Travis Dye can do. Uh, so th there's a good point to me is that I know that uh, Austin Jones, I also think, uh, again, I want to see the tight ends in motion. I want to see what they do, how they turn up. Are they really going to be H-backs uh, if that's what they're going to turn them into? And I agree with uh, Chris. Uh, I'm interested to see uh, the wide receivers, uh, especially Brendan Rice. Uh, poor guy was stuck in an abyss in the offense of Colorado. And it'll be interesting to see how he gets through and uh, progresses. I know Mario Williams is going to look good. Uh, and Gary Bryant hopefully will be healthy and he can, he can play. So it'll be interesting. I want to see a log jam at wide receiver. And uh, I want to see who's going to catch the ball with fans in the stands. I want to see who's going to catch the ball with ESPN cameras on them. So uh, there'll be a little bit of intrigue there for me. So all in all, I think offense has plenty to look at. And I think we've all got probably our own particular facets uh, of what we want to see. And just to remind fans, next week, we're going to review uh, the uh, spring game for all of you, both on offense and defense. And I'm sure that we'll all have different viewpoints on how that goes. So with that in mind, let's turn to defense. And we begin with this uh, question, of course. Uh, what specific players and areas of interest on defense will you scrutinize the most? Eric, what are you going to be looking at on defense? For me, Shane Lee is, is right at the top. He's a guy right in the middle and, and a guy that we have heard so much about this spring. If his play can even come close to approaching kind of how important he's been off the field and, and kind of developing players around him, uh, that would be huge. But but USC needs that guy in the middle. They, they need a guy in the middle of the defense, kind of take control, captain things and and make make plays, bring a physical presence there. And then it's up front for me what the defensive line does. I think you've got a, a couple new guys in there. Tyrone Teleni has has been getting a lot of praise lately. Is he a guy that can make a huge jump from not playing football to playing very little football at Kansas State to now? 
potentially pushing for, for a starting spot this year, kind of as crazy as that sounds. Um, is he a guy who fits in? Uh, seeing uh, Thule up there again will be fun, and, and Nick Figueroa, those guys. But what does that defensive line look like? Because, again, what we've been hearing lately is, yeah, the offensive line is getting better and better and doing some good things, and, and they really like that. I think the defensive line needs to stand up. And I didn't mention – I'm going to see if somebody else wants to jump in on the secondary, but that secondary was – the guys who played last year and the, the you look at the numbers and the stats and all of that, that's got to get better. That's got to get better in a hurry. But for me, I, I want to see kind of the tone set up there in that front seven and see Shane Lee run around a little bit and, and see what he can bring. Okay. Uh, what do you expect to be uh, happening as far as bringing it, uh, Mark Culkin? Who are you looking at? What units? Are you excited about the uh, – the defense in general from what you can ascertain yeah no i, I want to see who's flying around and you know eric already touched on shane lee he's been the you know the the center of attention you know where the culture is changing on that side of the ball if, if not in the locker room completely so on either to the right or the left of shane lee at, is going to be a rush in and whether that's going to be Corey foreman whether that's going to be romello hate height um whether, you know, Solo finds a spot, it's a, is it going to be inside or is it going to be outside on the defensive line? That's where I'm going to be keen because, you know, USC, you, you can't just get close to the quarterback. You got to be able to get to the quarterback, get the sacks, create some turnovers, force some chaos back there. So um, at that level, yeah, we need somebody who's ready to step up and in Corey Foreman's case, be that number one defensive player in the country that, you know, chose USC. Um, I, I know Chris is going to go heavy. Uh, I'm assuming Chris will go heavy with the DBs. But, you know, you got Kalen Bullock back there. He's going to cover up a lot of inexperience that, you know, USC might have on the edges at cornerback. So uh, is Josh Jackson ready to step up? Is Damani Jackson, you know, going to be thrust into a starter's role? So we'll, we'll see where we go there. Defense is definitely where, you know, you can focus on the entire, the entire defense and you're, you're not going to be like, oh, I missed something. You're, you're focusing on something that needs to be focused on. Um, for me, that's the difference between the offense. Like you said, Greg, I think the offense, it's going to be prolific. Defense is where the, we need to shore everything up. That you have been very, uh, uh, how shall I put it, cruel uh, with the defense for a good reason. Uh, you are a former defensive back yourself in college. Uh, is it the secondary you're looking at first, or are you going to work inside out with the front four and then work your way back to the secondary? What are you looking for? I'm not going to talk about the secondary at all. I don't know what Mark is talking about. Um, <laughs> I'm going to look. Okay, just for the record, uh, we're into it 15 minutes, and Chris is now officially raring to go sorry mark you had to take the brunt of it got him off well, you know, i got, got fixed game yeah i mean i don't know why culkin is trying to is trying to steal my thunder and talk about what i'm going to be talking about i didn't share notes with him i just don't understand it but that's fine uh no look uh if there are two guys on the roster that everybody's interested in it's caleb williams and Corey foreman everybody wants to know what Corey foreman's going to be so uh, I don't want to talk to a ton about him because we talk about him every week. Everybody wants to know if this guy is going to be the superstar we all expected. We'll see. 
Um, I think that I think that Eric's right. I think it's in the middle of the defense. Um, I want to see what Shane Lee can do. I want to see if he's half as good a player as he is a leader, but I also want to see who else is going to be there with him. I mean, the coaches had good things to say about Raylan Goforth the other day. That was good to see because uh, we haven't seen a lot from him. We've seen him play a lot, but we haven't seen a lot from him. If he's, uh, if he's now becoming the guy that we hoped he would be coming out of high school, that's good news. I want to see what Rayshon Davis can do. But the, look, the reality is that last year's USC defense was maybe the worst USC defense of all time. And so we're going to need to see substantial improvement in lots of areas. And, um, uh, and, and so, um, and I think we will, but I think, uh, and I think we're going to see it against a pretty good offense. So if these guys can make plays, if they can be competitive, that's going to be a pretty good sign. Uh, but I want to see what the linebackers can do because we haven't had good linebacker play in many, many years now. And, and we're going to need that. Okay. Uh, I'm going to take a, a similar route, but be specific in my view on it. I know he can do, obviously he's a great leader. He was one of the top linebackers recruited in the country out of uh, the Baltimore area. Uh, what I want to see him do is what happens when he drops back into pass defense. I want to see how he covers uh, his, his lateral movement. Uh, some claim uh, true or false that that's probably an area he needs to really work on but I want to see it for myself. Uh, yeah, I'm a little bit um, tired of the foreman uh, every week thing, but it is it is a worthy topic. And, you know, I thought Roy Manning, uh, the outside linebackers coach, quote, edge rusher uh, mentor for all these guys said, you know, well, first we got to get the players in the right position. And, you know, we always were wondering what position is Corey Foreman? We saw what a disaster Drake Jackson, in my opinion, was. Uh, didn't know if he was rushing, what he's dropping back, guarding grass, what, what have you. So he's saying good things about Corey that he thinks this, he's in the right spot, which, of course, we all know that in order to have a good team, the players have to be in their right positions. If you use a basketball terminology, you can't have a center shooting three-point shots and a guard posting up down low. Um, I think that uh, I'm excited about that rush-end position, especially uh, – to the poo-poo. Uh, it looks as though he's healthy. It looks as though he's got Manning's attention. He's excited about this kid. You know, he's a player I can root for because he's gone through so much adversity that wouldn't it be something if, uh, if he doesn't end up at rush, maybe he's going to end up as a down lineman. If we can just be healthy, he's really going to help this team. So that's, uh, you know, I, I think that uh, Romello is somebody that I'm looking forward to. I want to see uh, uh, Tolini. Tolini, when I watch him on interviews, is, seems very mature to me, very coachable, and very young to the game. He played rugby when he was back on the, in Samoa, and uh, I think that uh, he's somebody that I want to look at. As far as the secondary goes, uh, I'm curious to see who uh, the defensive backs are going to be, the corners. I want to see, uh, you know, I know McCutcheon's probably going to be one of them. But, uh, I, you know, I, I uh, or excuse me, Blackman, correct me, Blackman will be one of them. I don't know who the other one's going to be. Uh, I think that uh, the safeties are going to be interesting to me. But, uh, you know, the thing that they've been, they've been really emphasizing, and you've seen this on video, is get to the ball, run to the ball, play with high energy. But the biggest key to me out of all of it is how is their tackling improved? Are they tackling better? Are they coming as a group? Is it, I'm going to miss a one-on-one -on -one tackle. 
that seems to be kind of like behind the curtain and I think it should be in the forefront. So I'm looking to see how they tackle as well. All righty. Let's go to uh, halftime here and halftime. I think we've transitioned to a halftime with a, with a pretty good question. Uh, given that the uh, spring game is at the Coliseum and it'll be free to the general public and televised on ESPN at noon Pacific time, what will be the attendance count panel in your opinion and why? And is this a good decision by athletic director Mike Bone to make the game free and uh, on ESPN live uh, televising it? Chris, what do you think? First of all, I think it's a great decision. I mean, to get in front of a national audience, to, um, uh, to have people see what uh, USC is up to and, and have what it's, what's likely to be an a, a, you know, hour, hour and a half long USC infomercial on ESPN is a pretty good deal. Right, because you know that's what it's going to be. You know the ESPN guys are going to be talking about Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams and the changed culture. So yeah, great idea. I also think it's a good idea to do what he's doing, where you make it free and you have a bunch of other activities and other things to draw people in. You don't want to have you don't want to have this thing televised on ESPN and have uh, six hundred people show up. Um, that being said. I'd be surprised if they got more than 20,000. Um, I mean, even in, even in Pete Carroll's heyday, when the Coliseum was being sold out for just about every big game, uh, he's still probably getting 15, 20,000 at the spring game. I mean, it, it was hard to know for sure, but that's what it looked like to me when I would go. I don't think they're going to do any better than that. Um, if they do, that's great. But um, um, but I think it's a good idea. I think it's a good opportunity. And, and, and I'm looking and the fact that practice is closed and we've, and we have Lincoln Riley, who's finally going to sweep the, uh, cladiocrity out of, uh, out of the program probably makes it so that a lot of people are excited. I know I'm excited to watch the spring game. I'm usually not excited to watch a spring game. So, uh, so maybe we'll, you know, maybe we'll, 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 we'll cap out higher than 20, but I'd be surprised. I think that's probably where it's going to be. Well, okay, so we got one check mark here for 20,000. Eric, is it going to be 20 or more or 20 or less? What do you think? Uh, 20,001. That's what I'm going to turn Wait to go on a limb. That was good. That was good. I, I, I Mark, think... make note of that. Mark, make note of that. You might want to go to. Are we playing the prices right? Or did we go there? Falcon's going to say one. Yeah. <laughs> I, I got so... 420 on that, Chris. <laughs> All right, Eric, give us your take. So I do think it'll be around there. I don't, you know, talking about a sellout or things like that. I, I think I, I don't, it's just the way spring games are at USC in Los Angeles. I, I think it'll be telling to see how USC does at kind of distributing tickets to the community, local high schools, especially, I mean, up and down the state, you know, in, in terms of high school teams being able to come and, and, you know, juice the numbers up a little bit. Um, the idea to make it free, the idea to put it on ESPN, I, I think everything USC has done leading up to this spring game has been a good idea and will result in a, a better crowd and more excitement around this game. Uh, you know, Chris talks a lot about kind of this being a USC infomercial. At this point, when USC acts like it wants to be good at football, it's one of those things now where until you are there, you kind of dress for the job you want, right? You want ESPN at your spring game. You want a full crowd. You act like that's going to happen. And so when when USC is on kind of when, when it's ascending, as it feels like right now, we talk a lot about high school, local high school coaches 
want to send their players to USC. They want USC to be good. National, you know, uh, journalists and, and people who cover the sport, they want USC to be good. They want Florida State to be good. And my, you know, everyone talks about like, oh, you hate my team. You hate my team. They want to talk about the big teams. They want to talk about Ohio State being good and Alabama being good. USC absolutely is one of those. So, yes, giving ESPN this game or having US, ESPN cover this game they're going to be all fawning all over kind of Lincoln Riley and USC. And is this the birth of another Pete Carroll run? And, and yeah, I, I think it's going to be a lot of positivity uh, about USC. And, and I think, you know, Lincoln Riley is smart enough to know he's got the keys to kind of how this game looks, right. You can, you can figure out if you want to push offense, if you want to push defense, if you want to do kind of anything like that, you can highlight certain guys and, and you can, control the narrative a little bit, even though, yeah, I do, I do believe him when he says we're going to go out and hit, we're going to play football. Uh, but yeah, every, I think everything USC has done in building up this game and, and pushing it and, and trying to get some eyes on it is a good thing. And, and I think Lincoln Riley's right when he kind of said, we know what fans expect from us, but at a big time pro, if you're going to be a big time football program, there have to be expectations of fans too. And so for him to kind of toss that out there a little bit, I thought it was pretty telling uh, when he says, Hey, yeah, we we've got an expectation for it to be kind of a, a, a raucous, exciting environment for us to play our spring game in. And that absolutely puts the onus on USC fans to show up on Saturday. Okay. Is, is the fans going to show up, Mark? I know you've written about this a little bit or challenged the fans yourself. Uh, what's going to happen on Saturday? How many seats? Well, I, first of all, it's a great decision. Um, you know, whether or not keeping the, the fans and the family away during practice, that's, that's debatable. I, you know, obviously the family is going to go out there. Um, the recruits in high school, you know, high school coaches, they're showing up to the spring practices. So that energy level is out there. So great decision. Um, I think with that little extra challenge from Lincoln Riley that Eric was just talking about there, I, I think we're going to see you know, closer to 30,000. I'll, I'll throw it out there. I really think that number is going to be much larger. Um, it, it's because people who remember those Pete Carroll Halcyon days, um, they remember, you know, the, the, the in and out food truck. And then as soon as the game was over, running out to the field and, and standing in long lines to get autographs. So if, if the fans have that kind of passion again, hopefully, um, yeah, I, I think you're going to see 30,000 fans out there. And, and if you get the right camera angles, you know, ESPN will get it right. It'll look good on TV. And that'll just generate more enthusiasm for the regular season, you know, as, it, as soon as it gets here. So, yeah, I think it's going to be a good day. Well, I thought it was interesting. We know it's on TV. We know the Coliseum holds 77,500. And I believe I might be off by a couple of a thousand here or there. I think there's 15,000 t-shirts that are going to be uh, put on the north sideline, which means, as we know, that's where they point the cameras to. Uh, so they'll, like Mark said, they can concentrate. They can make it look like there's a lot of people there. I think that uh, one of the areas that I think that uh, I, I am a little concerned about this hype uh, because Southern California crowds are not like Tuscaloosa, Alabama. They're not like Columbus, Ohio, where they're going to pack 100,000 people in there and people are going to go, oh, look at that. There's a, let's take Mark's uh, 30,000 optimistic uh, view uh, and say that's what it is. They're still going to look and say, well, look, at there's that, not that many people. But for our Southern, those of us that have lived here, have grown up here, 
we know that 30,000 would be a good turnout, especially the way the weather is now. For those of you that are uh, huddled in there and still freezing your buns off uh, in the Midwest and the Northeast and so on and so forth, we've had wonderful weather after a recent really hot spell uh, and 70 degrees and sunny, I think is kind of the prediction for, uh, for Saturday. So plus people can tape the game if they want. So it may not be indicative of the true enthusiasm by just butts and seats. I think that Lincoln Riley did the right thing, challenging people to come. I don't know whether he needs to make an adjustment, though, that if there is 20,001 people there, whether um, he would be disappointed. I don't think I would be disappointed because I think I know what they're dealing with. A um, couple areas, though, about the attendance. Uh, you know, I, I, when, they, when they sent out the release, they said, get your tickets that season ticket holders are going to get free tickets, right? Okay, we already, they do that every year, right? <laughs> Excuse me. But I was concerned that they had a, a little spot on the release that said, if you're interested in complimentary tickets, sign in here. So I went to it and I saw that, you know, you have to ask for tickets, then you got to download it. And I don't know how many people are really going to want to do that or even pay attention to it. What happens if somebody just shows up and says, hey, I heard the scrimmage was for free. Can I get in? What are they going to say? Do you have a ticket? And I think that could be a, a kind of a, a, a real concern to me when you're trying to keep everything positive. And also, I'm kind of curious about whether players that aren't gold-plated, whether they're going to just trot out on the field on cameras and some of them are going to have their uh, stickers on or whether everybody's going to have their stickers on or some guys aren't. That, uh, you know, Lincoln Riley said in the regular, and that's not going to happen, probably you're not on the team. But what's going to happen in spring ball? I think that's kind of a curious thing to me. Also, what I thought was curious, I got a thing from UCLA that said on Saturday they're having their spring game, and it's also free, uh, which I don't know if it was a coincidence, but unfortunately it's 9 o'clock in the morning. So I would, I'm not surprised they're having – they should be paying fans to show up at the Rose Bowl rather than just say it's free. You're so on the UCLA football mailing list, Greg? Yes, I happen? am. What's that? How, how did that happen? It happens because I always like to know what the other guy is doing. Okay. Even if the other guy's UCLA football? What do I care? I, I, I get Notre Dame. I get everybody. You know, it's kind of like, you know, you want to see film of your opponent. You want to see what they're going to do and how they're looking at things. Okay, Chris. Okay. Chris is listening. Here they no, come. No, no, here come the words. When is, when, is Rice, when is Rice's spring game? Are you on their mailing list? You know, it's funny you should ask. I am actually on Rice's spring list. Have they had their spring game already? How'd it go? You know what? You live in Dallas. Or is it Fort Worth? I live in Dallas, but Rice isn't in Dallas. Where's Rice located? I think it's close to Houston, right? Wait a minute. Houston? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yes, yes. No. Yes, Rice is very close to Houston. Well, I think that answers your question. I don't even know why I asked the question. I don't know sure. why you asked it either. But I'm pretty I, sure that was the answer. to break down the UCLA spring game right now. Is that what we're waiting for? I, I well, it's, so. it's, a, it's a real and possibility. McKinney's, and McKinney's dressed for it. He's got the UCLA blue on. <laughs> Wait That's a it. minute. Wait a You know, that is a good point, Arledge. I mean, Eric, is there a logo that you're covering up or something? Wow, did that deflect quickly? <laughs> is, he a, is he a closet Bruin? Hey, Notre Dame spring game is coming up this Saturday too, Greg. We, we could do a triple header. We need a show that's going to review all the spring games. No doubt about that. All right. 
I think we've uh, exhausted that. Uh, let's uh, go to, uh, before the second half, remind fans that you're watching or listening to WeRSC.com's Inside the Trojan Subtle. This week's uh, WeRSC panelists include Mark Culkin, Chris Arledge, Eric McKenney, and I'm Greg Katz. A programming note, uh, again, we will review the spring game uh, next Tuesday. We all encourage you to check it out and compare what you thought from what we thought. Also, a reminder, we encourage you to check out uh, WeRSC.com's uh, uh, subscription. Uh, of course, WeRSC.com is part of the On3 network. We invite you to become a subscriber to the best coverage of USC football and Trojans athletics. As a bonus for the curious, there's currently a special spring practice WeRSC free trial, including monthly or yearly discount options to view our exclusive On3 Plus content which includes analysis, uh, breaking stories, data for USC football and basketball, and the balance of USC athletics. All right, third quarter. All right, we kick off the second half of the third quarter with this panel. As mentioned in the opening tease of Inside the Trojan Huddle, it's possible that three former starting Cardinal and Gold quarterbacks will be starting for three other universities in 2022. When you consider JT Daniels at West Virginia, Keaton Slovis at Pittsburgh, and Jackson Dart at Mississippi, in fact, it's entirely possible, as we mentioned earlier, that Slovis and Pitt, Daniels and West Virginia could actually face each other on Thursday, September 1st at Heinz Field in Pittsburgh for what is called the Backyard Brawl. Now, to add a little spice to the Backyard Brawl between Pitt and Virginia, West Virginia, let's remember that the new West Virginia offensive coordinator is Graham Harrell. Who, mon who mentored both Slovis and Daniels when, we were, when they were both at USC. Now, panel, here is your question. Your overall thoughts on these three intriguing quarterback developments and the Graham Harrell connection. Uh, what is, a, is there an underlying message that we're missing on this, Mark Culkin? I don't know. I think it's going to be fun to watch um, when Pitt and West Virginia play each other. Um, you know, the way that Graham Harrell handled that whole quarterback situation, you know, publicly behind the scenes, um, it's a curious landing spot for JT. That's all I'm going to say on that. Um, you know, is, is, is Graham Harrell looking to say, I'm the guy who made the quarterback, you know, is, is he, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Um. As far as Jackson Dart in, at going down to Mississippi, I think that's a perfect place for him. I think Lane Kiffin will 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 utilize his skill set perfectly. Um, what it says is USC has an eye for quarterback talent. You know, if they're not going to make it here, they'll make it somewhere else. Um, so I guess that's one takeaway. <laughs> USC will never be void of a quarterback. Um, they might have they might need another one right now on their roster just because they're short as far as number wise, but USC is always going to be a place to play quarterback. And if you're, if you're not willing to wait, you've got ex offensive coordinators willing to give you a second and third opportunity. Um, and you got plenty of programs out there willing to give you an opportunity, but as far as what to take away from it, I don't know. Um, other than let's watch that first game when, Pitt and West Virginia play each other. Chris, do you think, in your opinion, that the quarterback situation under Helton was totally mangled, mismanaged, 
you know, one player we're leaving out uh, is going to be Bryce Young at Alabama. He was a USC commit. So he wasn't, of course, a state quarterback at USC, but he was a really strong commitment up to one point. What, what, what transpired uh, in the Helton years with all these quarterbacks? Uh, what's, your, what's your viewpoint on it? I think your original question was whether I think the quarterback situation under Helton was badly mangled. I think you could replace quarterback with any other adjective, and I would say yes to that. The guy was a disaster. My biggest takeaway is that West Virginia must not have scouted USC football. I, somebody in West Virginia thought, we need some offensive help. Who can we go out who's really going to turn this thing around? And they decided Graham Harrell was the guy. I, that is mind-boggling to me. Don't, don't they have televisions in West Virginia? I mean, couldn't somebody like it? Maybe they still have VHS. Couldn't somebody like stuck a VHS tape in there and watched Graham Harrell's offense? I mean, that's shocking to me. Uh, if I were if I were West Virginia's athletic director, I would fire the West Virginia coach, whoever he is, as soon as he as soon as he as soon as he hired Graham Harrell. It's crazy. The only thing that disappoints me is that Pittsburgh didn't hire either T. Martin or Hugh Jackson to be their offensive coordinator, because then we could have really a clash of uh, former USC quarterbacks and elite former USC offensive coordinators. That would have been exciting. Jackson Dart's going to have a good season. Um, JT Daniels, he has two years to play, right? So he can still get to his fourth school. Um, I think JT Daniels will probably transfer to, um, uh, to Marshall uh, for his senior season. And uh, Graham Harrell will get fired after two years. It should be after two games. Uh, that's what I think. Eric, why did JT pick Graham Harrell? I, I mean, knowing how that whole quarterback situation was handled, why would he go there? So Is that directed at, at, at Eric, right? Yes. Okay, fine. Eric, take it away. So, I mean, I, I have not talked to, to JT Daniels to get any kind of thoughts or quotes from him since he left USC. What I will say, what this whole situation tells me is, is three things. It's one, what Mark alluded to, USC is a destination spot for talented quarterbacks. Good quarterbacks want to play at USC. They're going to end up here, absolutely. Uh, the other thing that it tells me is that the transfer portal makes it really easy for guys to pick up and leave whenever they want to go somewhere. And I think ultimately it, that is a, that is a good thing for players to be able to go find a spot where they want to play. Uh, the third thing it tells me is that these guys, a lot of these guys involved in here, what we're talking about, they understand this is a business and they're making business decisions and any kind of feelings or whatever or anything like that that they're going to try to go to where they feel set up the best with JT Daniel with JT Daniels there's some familiarity I think with Graham Harrell he understands what he's going to ask he understands that when he's stepping into this this is what I'm going to be able to do this is how quickly I think I can make an impact there and and play uh when Keaton Slovis goes to Pitt he just saw what the Pitt quarterback did and the numbers that he was able to put up and and so I think that becomes kind of a, a comfortable landing spot for him. I like, like you guys talked about, I, I think that's fun. It's going to be a fun thing to watch these two guys play. Yeah. I, I think it's interesting that JT Daniels and Graham Harrell got together when there was clearly so much kind of, you know, I, I don't know what the word is 
exactly. But th- there was a lean. There was a lean to Keaton Slovis. They they found Keaton Slovis. They really liked him. They wanted him to play. And and I don't think while JT Daniels was on the roster that Keaton Slovis ever really did anything for you to say, no, nah, he's got to get out of here. He, you know, we've, we've got to bench him uh, and, and bring JT Daniels back. And I think, like I mentioned, there's, there's business decisions to be made now and you've got to go with one guy. I don't think you could play multiple quarterbacks and say, yeah, we think both guys are equal and, and we're going to throw them both out there somehow. So decisions get made. And, and that's how I think Keaton Slovis ended up being the guy, but JT Daniels knows now, you know, he went to Georgia and, and all of a sudden there, there's a walk-on that's starting at him. He knows he's got to figure out, you know, what's the best for me. And I, I don't think he can carry anything with him in doing that. I think he's got to look forward and, and try to find the best spot for him. And, you know, you, you guys mentioned Graham Harrell kind of landing there. I, it, it'll be, it'll definitely be interesting to see how he does um, at West Virginia under Chris, here you go, Neil Brown. Uh, the the head coach at oh. West Virginia. New Brown's got some. He's got some Texas Tech background uh, in in him a little bit. He was. I'm sure he'll be. I'm sure he'll be amazing there. He's really on the right track. Hey, do you think JT remembers all four plays, or do you think he's forgotten one or two of them? I, I don't know how many he had to run in that in that first half that he played. It was right Fresno State, so they he completed seventy three percent of it. Whatever he did, so. Well, I just I just want to know whether he's going to have to spend three hours learning the Graham Harrell offense like the rest of the team or whether he remembers all four plays already. I don't know, but that may be it. Maybe he didn't want to have to spend an afternoon learning the playbook. I'm going to let that go. All right. Let me uh, wrap this particular uh, quarter up by saying that I think that if you're a quarterback, whether you go to SC or not, nothing is guaranteed. Uh, the transfer portal isn't out for you if you want. Uh, I thought it was curious this week uh, that Spencer Radler, who played for Lincoln Riley uh, at Oklahoma, was ripping on Riley, uh, saying things weren't good. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, he's uh, Radler's now at South Carolina and says, you know, this is the right program for me. And, you know, it's a difficult thing in this day and age to make quarterbacks happy. I will say this as far as the USC situation was. I think that it, a fish rots from the head down and as bad as I thought that Graham Harrell was, and I think he was bad, naive, uh, you know, might've been a nice quarterback as a player himself. Uh, I, I have to say that uh, Clay Helton, it all falls back on Clay Helton and his ability to manage his program. I thought he, hor- he horribly did it like almost everybody in the world does. And um, you know, who, I think one of the questions that you can always ask yourself again is if Lincoln Riley had been around when these quarterbacks were at SC, would he have recruited them and how much would they have developed? And would you have seen all these players uh, literally go other places? Uh, Would Bryce Young even be at Alabama today? I don't think so. Uh, So, you know, a lot happens in the change of a head coach. And I think we're going to find out just exactly uh, from here on out at SC how they're going to be looking at quarterbacks. Uh, obviously, they're they're going after the best of the best. Malachi Nelson's coming in. How will that be treated with um, Caleb Williams already going to be there? Uh, who's going to be in between those guys? It's going to be very interesting to see how the quarterback situation is handled. So with that, we're going to move on here. Now, as always, we begin the fourth quarter with the symbolic lighting 
of the Chris Arledge. We have called it the Chris Arledge uh, lighting of the torch. Oh, it even made it into the screen this week. Last well, week, it's it the background. Get up above the the bottom black bar there. Wait, yeah. who's, who's the we in that sentence that we've been calling it the Chris Arledge candle or whatever you're talking about? Who's the we? Greg is a candle. I'm glad. I'm the glad you hasn't said it. I, I would like to answer that question. Uh, when I say we, I'm talking about me, myself, and I. Now, in lieu of the traditional USC marching band's rendition of the William Tell Overture, we bring you inside the huddle's version of Musings with Arledge with Chris Arledge. So, Chris, it's all yours, buddy. Thank you, sir. Some of the biggest names in college football coaching are unhappy. What once was hidden and prohibited is now out in the open. Players are making money, in some cases a lot of money, but not everybody's happy about it. Debo Sweeney just recently said that the whole college football system needs to be blown up, in part because of NIL. Now listen to the way he describes this whole name, image, and likeness situation. Quote, there's no rules, no guidance, no nothing. It's out of control. It's not sustainable. It's an absolute mess and a train wreck. And the kids are going to be the ones who suffer in the end. There are going to be a lot of kids that end up with no degrees and make decisions based on the wrong things. That's, that's from Dabo. I want to unpack that a little bit because I'm wondering whether that's really what's driving Dabo Sweeney's anger. I mean, kids make a lot of decisions based on a lot of different things. A lot of them don't make a whole heck of a lot of sense. I mean, who your position coach is probably isn't the best way to decide on your college unless you're going to, uh, unless that guarantees you a future at the NFL. You have kids making decisions based on, on game day atmosphere. I'm not sure that's the, 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 the best thing to make your decision based on. I mean, look, if the NCAA was determined not to let kids make bad college decisions, they should probably tell kids you can't turn down a, a scholarship offer from Northwestern or from Cal to go to Oregon or Arizona State. But we let that happen. I, I don't think that's what's really driving this. Dabble says there are no rules. Lincoln Riley actually made a similar statement. Lincoln said, a lot of people voiced concerns when NIL came up, that there had to be a plan for that. And instead, we instituted NIL without any plan for that. So that's why we're at where we're at. Who instituted NIL? Dabble says there are no rules. Lincoln Riley says there was no plan. There were rules. There was a plan. And everybody with, with, any, uh, with any authority in college football agreed on those rules in that plan. This is what they all wanted. They wanted the schools to make hundreds of millions of dollars. They wanted Dabo Sweeney and Lincoln Riley to become millionaires. They wanted Kirk Herbstreit to buy a mansion. And they wanted the star quarterback that helps generate millions of dollars to get nothing. Those were the rules. That was the plan. These coaches talk like the NCAA decided to make a change and they just didn't think through it carefully enough. That's not what happened. The schools fought for years to keep players from making anything. And the problem is that those rules were unlawful. And while the NCAA fought hard, the courts have finally said no. And it's not just that the courts have allowed NIL. The courts are soon going to allow just about anything that, uh, uh, that, uh, that the players want. Listen to what Justice Kavanaugh of the U.S. Supreme Court said recently. The NCAA couches its arguments for not paying student athletes in innocuous labels. But the labels cannot disguise the reality the NCAA's business model would be flatly illegal in almost any other industry in America. Look, let's be honest. 
The NCAA system is broken down and we have the NIL system we now have because the NCAA tried to keep all the money for the adults and not give any to the people who were performing. So now there are three options. The first one is legislation. The Congress could pass a law that sets NIL rules. This is what the schools badly want to have happen. Why? Because Congress is great at fixing things. Well, Congress's current approval rating according to Gallup is 21% which is about three points higher than chlamydia. And frankly, I'm surprised it's that high. But the reason they want Congress to do something is because they hate the other two options. Option number two is collective bargaining. This is why the NFL can have a salary cap and the antitrust laws don't interfere. But to do that, the schools would have to make the players employees, which means they would actually have to share revenue with them, which they don't have to do under the current NIL rules. It's someone else's money. And in most major sports, the, 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 the athletes are getting about 50% of the revenues. The colleges don't want that. So they certainly don't want to go the collective bargaining route. And to be fair, the players would then be covered by labor laws, which in a state like California is no joke. So I'm, I guess I, I don't really blame the universities wanting to avoid that. Option number three, don't worry about it. Let these guys make what they can make. They say people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. What about people in $17 million houses like Lincoln Riley? Is it really that offensive that a Texas offensive lineman gets paid $150,000 a year when Texas football brings in $150 million a year? Rich people donate money to Texas football all the time. It's encouraged. Why is that okay, but making a donation to the player is not? The Dabo Sweeney's of the world don't like it because NIL changes recruiting dramatically. And these are guys who benefit from the old rules. Dabo Sweeney was a king under the old system. Why would he want anything to change? He is the very epitome of a status quo power. Some people claim that NIL gives some schools unfair advantages. Some schools always have unfair advantages. Before NIL, Purdue couldn't complete with, compete with Ohio State for players. They still can't. And don't tell me that NIL money makes education secondary. That's been the case for a very long time. There are some good college football student athletes who take advantage of the opportunity. But here's the dirty little secret. Every school brings in a lot of players that would not be able to hack it in the classroom if not for the fact that they were very big and very fast. And then you throw a bunch of tutors on those kids, you handpick majors, and you handpick classes to get them through. And the, and the simple fact of the matter is that the more elite the school is, the bigger the difference is between the, others, the rest of the student body and the athletes that you bring in in the major sports. So look, with a lot of these guys, this is their chance. They're probably not gonna be NFL players. Or they're not gonna be NFL players for very long. If they're marginal students, they're still going to be uh, marginal in terms, of the, uh, in terms of the job market when they get out of college. If that means that they have a chance to make 200K a year to play defensive tackle somewhere, great. Is there really an emergency we need to run out and fix? Dabo Sweeney thinks so. I don't see it. I'm done, Greg. I'm done. We're just applauding you. That's the best we could do with uh, our limited sound effects. So oh. there you have it. Another amusings with Arledge. Greatly appreciated. We hope that you all enjoyed that little segment. So we've been begin the fourth quarter uh, with this uh, question. 
Panel, if you could change any rule for the upcoming NCAA football season in 2022, what rule or what part of the game on field would it be and why? Eric, is there any changes you'd like to see in the game? You know, I've always had kind of an issue with uh, offensive players being able to kind of, you know, especially now when there's so much effort on limiting head contact and spearing and targeting and all that kind of stuff that offensive players can lower their head and, and initiate contact and that sort of thing. And it's okay. And a defensive player, we're at a point now where, boy, if they start to smell a helmet, they're out of the game. So evening that up a little bit, I, I think would be um, something that I, I would go for. I think kind of the offensive face mask where a running back stiff arm, somebody grabs a face mask and, and twists them. That's another thing where things shift to the offense. That being said, I don't want to ask NCAA officials to call anything else. So I'm sort of of two minds where I'd like to see that even out a little bit. I'd also like officials to have, I don't know, just give two officials flags or something, how we could figure out cutting down uh, penalties out there. Okay, Mark, what do you want? To, what changes do you want? Um, I want to see the PI call changed. No longer is it just a 15-yard penalty. If it happens 35, 40 yards down the field, mark it. That's where it's going to happen. I, I think you'll start seeing defense play defense a little bit better rather than just, you know what, I'm going to take a penalty because it's only going to cost us 15 rather than a touchdown. So uh, that for sure. Also, I think they need to make a change to, to the uh, quarterback taking off and running. We're going to call it the Kenny Pickett rule where, you know what, if you're going to be able to fake a slide, if you're a quarterback and you're five yards past the line of scrimmage, even if you start the slide, you're open game. Um, no longer are you, can you be protected? Um, if you're going to pretend you're a runner and you're going to put on some dead leg type of move and try and fake out a defender, yeah, you're going to get hit. You're, you're, you're now a running back in my opinion. So that, let's start with those two. Okay. Chris, what do you see? You're a defensive back. Would you yeah. like to see that, uh, that rule change? I don't have a problem with Mark's proposed change. If we're actually going to call pass interference on offensive players, I mean, offensive guys can mug defensive backs and it never gets called. It's outrageous. The only time they call it is if it's an illegal pick. But, I mean, let's, let's call this evenly. Let's get the defensive guy a fair shot at it. So I want to make that change. Absolutely. Number two, I hate the way the targeting rule is called, at least in the Pac-12. You know what the, you know the targeting rule is called in the Pac-12? If it's a big hit, they throw the flag. Then they'll review it and see what happens. But it, it, it isn't even about leading with your head or hitting a guy in the head. If you hit a guy hard, they throw a flag. In fact, you know what? Forget that. I want the rule to be that we just fire all of the current Pac-12 referees and hire new people. That's the rule I'd like to see because those guys are terrible. When you watch an SEC game, it's not that they don't sometimes have bad calls, but it is a completely different game. It is not a flag every play. They let guys play. They let the game be physical. Um, the Pac-12 officiating is horrific. My last proposed rule change, you cannot punt the ball if you have crossed the 50-yard line. You cannot do it. And you can't, try to get a, you can't try to get a false start or a delay of game penalty in order to go back behind the 50 to punt. You can't do that either. Once you cross the 50, you've got to go for it. I'm tired of watching coaches punt from the 41. 
It's nonsense. There may be times when you want to do that, but these guys are so risk averse. Go look at the stats, guys. It doesn't make sense. Run, go for it. Unless you're USC and it's a fourth and one, and then you probably have to punt because you can't get it. Maybe we can this year. You know, you just retired David Shaw. Yeah, well, it may be time to retire David Shaw. The last few years of David Shaw have not been an exciting David Shaw, has it? Where would Rick Neuheisel be without punting is winning? I think he'd be right where he is right In now. In place, yep. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe, or maybe he'd have another role at UCLA, and then Greg could fill us in when he gets his uh, daily Bruin <laughs> updates. I don't know. Look at that smile. I made him happy. I tell you, I made my day. <laughs> I just I just love it that you follow UCLA football so carefully. You're the only person in the world that does. Look, and I grew up, my dad was a UCLA fan, and I had to go sit. You know what it's like when your dad says, okay, the Bruins are playing today, and, and you, you've been going to all the SC games, and you have to sit next to your dad while he's standing up for Gary Beaven and all the other quarterbacks, and I'm just going, boy, this is, this is worse than sitting in the corner. But I'm I will just overcome that. Well, it wasn't easy, believe me. Yeah. Uh, I do want to say that I agree totally, Mark, uh, and I won't belabor the points here, guys. I, I think the pass interference rule is ridiculous the way it is in college. I think I know that defensive uh, back coaches, secondary coaches teach their players. We'll, we'll take a 15 yard penalty. It's a lot better than giving up six points. So I, I think it's uh, I think it penalizes uh, uh, basically the, the, you know, the, the offense for trying to throw deep. Uh, I mean, you could throw deep three times and get three straight pass interference calls and you still haven't given up a touchdown. So most I, of USC's I, opponents did that last year, by the way. Threw the ball three straight times and got three straight pass interference penalties. <laughs> and you know what? It actually worked out okay for them, Greg. You know, you make a good solid point. I like, I like that. All right, let's move on, guys. We're going into overtime. Questions and answers. Panel, uh, you have a free-for-all answer format. You can jump in when you think you uh, have a quick answer to any of these. Uh, by the way, if... Uh, Viewers or listeners would like to submit a question that we can answer or give you our opinion. Just go to either the Gary P or we RSC members message board at wersc.com. Uh, from there, we'll uh, you'll see the topic thread regarding questions for inside the Trojan Subtle. All right, question number one. It's all about timing here. From SC1 MBA, we all know that Scott Schrader who of course is we RSC's recruiting guru is related to the great Lowell Schrader, the late uh, hall of fame, Long Beach press telegram columnist. The question by uh, SC one is, is Chris referring to Arledge related to the great rune Arledge? Chris, can you uh, definitely tell us the answer to that question? Well, he must be a distant relation because uh, there are very few Arledges. There are lots of Aldridges, and the reason that there are very few Arledges is because at some point in that, in that family tree, there was a guy who didn't know how to spell Aldridge, and he spelled it wrong, and we became the Arledges. So Rune must be some sort of, uh, of relative, but it's a distant enough relative that I don't really know how he fits in. And I can say that my family comes from uh, a, a long line of very poor, uh, very poor farmers. In, in Oklahoma and other parts of the South. So, um, so I don't know Rune and, uh, and I'd like to say that, um, you know, that he's my uncle, but I can't, at least not honestly. 
So let me ask you this question, then we're gonna move on to the second question. You, you said it could be a derivative of, of uh, Aldridge, right? It is, yeah, no question. Who's the most famous USC football player whose last name was Aldridge? Well, I don't know. Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, the most famous, the famous, uh, most famous one is Ricky Aldridge, who kicked the extra point, which was the winning point in the famous 1967 USC versus UCLA football game. Was Ricky Aldridge an, an Orange County guy? I believe he was. You know? I believe. I think he might have been at uh, Westminster High School. I think so. I think my uh, in the late 60s, maybe. Correct. Yeah, I think my dad played against him. My dad was at Fountain Valley. So I guess I should have come up with that. So, so for all the Fountain Valley people, since this week, we also believe we're kind of a resource here. Your father's name was, and he played what position for, I think you told me, Bruce Pickford? Bruce Pickford, yeah. Uh, Keith Arledge, he played outside linebacker for Bruce Pickford. And yeah. what years did he actually play? Do you know what years your dad played at Fountain Valley? Yeah, he, he, he graduated in 69. His first year was at Marina High School. He, his, his class was the first one uh, when Fountain Valley opened. They moved uh, some of the kids from Marina to Fountain Valley. So, yeah, he was a Fountain Valley guy. And that was before Edison was around. Yeah, I think Edison came around 1971, 72 in that era. All right, question number two from the Lizard King in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Will USC have a thousand yard rusher for 2022? Yes. What say ye? Yes? No? Yes. Mark says yes. Who will they have two? Okay, you think two? Will they have two should be the question. Okay, well, will they have two then? They'll have one. It'll be Travis Dye, but Austin Jones will be close. That's my, that, that'd be my answer also. Yeah, I think, I think Dye will get there. Um, I, they, they're talking about, you know, they like all three of them and, and Darwin Barlow has had a good spring. I, I could see it shaking out with a, a top two at some point. Um, I wanted to say, no, they won't have one because Caleb Williams is going to run. Travis Dye is going to catch a bunch of passes. Austin Jones is going to catch a bunch of passes, but boy, this offense runs the ball. And, and I think that they're going to make a point to, to try to get someone to a thousand. Plus you're going to have at least one more game than you had last year, hopefully. So you've got, you've got some, uh, some extra snaps there. I think they'll have a thousand yard rusher. I think it'll be Travis die. If he is the starter, uh, that's how I, I view it. So yes, I think we all would agree. There's going to be a thousand yard starter. You think he may not player. start? You think he may not start? Who's that? Travis, Travis die. Yeah. You think Austin Jones might start? You know, I, I get mixed messages now because, you know, you, he, I mean, we all know that Caleb's going to start at quarterback, but yet we hear that Miller Moss is looking fantastic, but I don't think anybody's going to run out and make a bet that uh, Caleb Williams isn't going to be the starter. I look at the situation with Travis Dye and Austin Jones, and I, I feel that, Austin, that uh, Dye is going to start, but, you know, it seems to me that uh, it's kind of the same situation as, uh, the quarterback situation. I think Die is going to get it. That doesn't mean he's going to carry the ball way more than Austin Jones, but I think that he'll be right there in the mix. Definitely will be in the mix. Uh, and Barlow, who knows with Barlow? You know, he might uh, might surprise everybody. We don't know who's going to get injured. So, you know, that's another, uh, you know, thing that could happen. All right. Uh, final question, guys. Is the term gold plating policy, this is from Corona Trojan fan, I assume this is in Corona, California. 
Is the team's gold plating policy going to go into effect for the spring game where gold plated players will have the Trojans logo on their helmet and others will, or, or will all the players have the logo in order to show team unity for ESPN viewers? Now we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier. I think I brought this up, but how do you think? Are we going to see a mixed bag here, mixed helmets? Or are we going to see all of them uh, wearing uh, gold-plated uh, logos on the side of their helmets? What say ye? I think it's going to be interesting if you're going to see the side of anybody's helmet at all. The, the offensive linemen, the defensive linemen, the tight ends, the running backs, they wear these kind of extra foam pads uh, on the outside of their helmets just to kind of absorb hits and, and that sort of thing. Uh I don't, I don't know for certain that they won't be wearing those uh, at, at the game. They seem to wear them. You know, we see videos and photos and stuff of the team portions and the, the scrimmage parts, and they seem to wear them for that. Uh, that being said, we've seen walk-on kickers get gold-plated. We've seen walk-on receivers get gold-plated. I would be surprised. And, and it's kind of, you've seen more and more as the spring has progressed. I think they kind of trickled out early, and then you had days where, you know, five, six, seven guys would, would pick them up. I'd be surprised if we got to Saturday and everyone who is, is going to go out there on Saturday didn't have them. That, that's sort of my take again, not that there were guys on Thursday that maybe you thought would have gotten them by now that, that still don't have them. Uh, I think different position groups need to hit different things. You got different, you know, coaches that want to send messages or, or do things different ways. I'd be surprised if if anybody came out on Saturday without having earned that by your your last practice of the spring. But that that's that's my take. I don't know. I don't know for certain that Lincoln Riley wouldn't send somebody out there without it. Who's that guy for the Buffalo Bills uh, years ago that used to wear one of those big things on his head? You remember this? Kelso? the The special teams guy. Yeah, yeah. Was it the was it the mascot? Was it just a giant? No, 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 no. He, he put on special protective. I think it may have been the mascot, Chris. He was. It was not a mascot. He was. Oh. He was playing in the NFL for the Buffalo Bills, and he wore the and he wore that on his head. Stephen Trask. Some... Trask. No, I was thinking Kelso. Is that right, Kelso? I'll have to look he, that up. Yeah. He he put and on he, a special helmet that had yeah. extra padding on it. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, this is this is old technology. I'm surprised that people haven't been doing it uh, since then. But um, I, I'll weigh in on this. Uh, if let's put it this way, if you've been healthy and you've been practicing, and by the time of the spring game you don't have that decal on your helmet, you should skip the spring game and and go do the paperwork for the transfer portal because the coaches are the coaches are telling you all you need to know. If you haven't earned it by then, then uh, you're out. You're out. I think it, it, it was Stephen Tasker, I think. Is Tasker. Who, yeah. Okay. And to what exactly what you and Eric are talking about. Yeah. If you don't have your gold plates, you're going to have the red foam on top of your helmet. And that's probably a good indication that, you know what? Look for that pink slip in your locker when spring camp's over as well. Because you're probably one of those few that are going to be encouraged to consider other options. You've had an entire spring camp to earn that gold plate. You don't have it by now. They're sending a message to you. Well, these are going to be intriguing questions. Uh, one final thought here. Uh, are we going to find, are we going to have a depth chart announced at the conclusion of, of Saturday? 
Will there, have you heard anything about a depth chart? Or I, I, I don't I don't know how often Lincoln Riley is going to tip his hand on on anything in terms of playing time or starters or, or things of that nature. Yeah. But no, I think, I, Caleb, I, Williams, I think Caleb Williams will be at the top of the depth chart at quarterback, though. I feel comfortable with that. It's a guess. I, yeah. I think we know who the starting quarterback will be, what the starting offensive line will be that they trot out there on Saturday. And we have a pretty good idea of who your starting running backs will be um, on offense. Outside of that, wide receiver and tight end is really the question mark. Who's going to be the starters? Yeah, I think Mal- Malcolm Epps talked about like he he's kind of running Y and Jude Wolf is is running that H spot. But the wide receiver position for me is, a, I, I think, as wide open as it gets. We've heard really good things about Brandon Rice. Obviously, Mario Williams, you assume, has that leg up coming in and then Gary Bryant of the the guys staying you'd think he is he jumps to the front although he's dealing with a, a bit of an injury here the, the last few practices but no if if you told me that any receiver would go out there during the spring game and have a big game I'd believe you there, there's a lot of talent there and, and you've heard and seen flashes from a lot of those guys for me that's kind of the the most I guess volatile position in terms of who ends up starting, who ends up kind of contributing a lot. And Lincoln Riley's talked about, you know, rolling eight, nine guys through at, at those spots. I've talked about, I don't, I don't think it's a great thing if you're counting on big contributions from eight guys. Um, but I think at this point in the spring, you're thinking, yeah, anybody, anybody could kind of jump up there. All right. Well, guys, plenty of intrigue to, to find out what the answers are to a lot of these questions. Hopefully we'll find out a lot about it. Uh, after uh, spring ball. Uh, so that's going to be a wrap for this edition of Inside the Trojans Huddle. A reminder, once again, next week, we'll review the spring game as well as related USC and selected college football topics. So until then, big thank you to this week's panel of Mark Culkin, Chris uh, Arledge, and Eric McKenney. And a special thank you to all of you watching or listening to Inside the Trojans Huddle. Until uh, next Tuesday, this is your host, Greg Katz, reminding you all to fight on, everybody.